Well, hello everybody. I'm Hal, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Making Biblical Family Life Practical. We're out on the road this month. We've been speaking at a couple of conferences in Missouri and in Texas, and we had an opportunity for Melanie to speak to a MomStrong group in Louisiana last week, and she gave a presentation on seasons of motherhood. So we wanted to share that with you this week, and we thank you for joining us. So here we here we are with Melanie speaking to a mom's group in Winsboro, Louisiana. When I was thinking about what um, to talk to ladies about, I was thinking about what I needed to hear when our children were younger. And so I thought we'd talk about seasons of motherhood. And so this looks more formal than this. I can't, I'm a very visual person. Remember, I can't remember names. Um, but can faces, like we were talking about earlier. And so I have to do everything in visual stuff or I can't remember it. This looks more formal than it is. We're just going to talk about these things, but I have to have something visual to look at. I can so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gifts you've given us as mothers. I thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to meet here today and to build into each other's lives and encourage one another in the way we need. Father, I pray that you give us all the words to say and to be kind of two moms to each other, minister to each other, and encourage one another in what we do. Father, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8 says, For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Ecclesiastes 1 through 3. You know, our enemy wants us to be discontent. He's always dangling things in front of us to distract us from God's mission for our lives. He wants us to be like, a, he wants us to want to be like everybody else, to to want the, the, physical, the physical things other people have, to want the, the position in life that they have, to want the freedom that they have. Because if we have our eyes on what other people's missions in life are, they're off our own mission in life and what we're supposed to be doing. Even if the, that other person has good stuff and is doing good things. <laughs> have you ever seen the movie The Incredibles? That's a fun one to watch with your kids. You know, the theme of that movie is that we need to be content with the way God has made us and to fulfill our own missions in life. And, you know, God calls us to contentment. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I think... 
the big temptation to moms is to want our fruit out of season. You know, why is it expensive to eat fruit that's out of season? It's hard to get. You have to make sacrifices for it. It's not natural. It has to be picked before it's ripe. It has to be shipped thousands of miles. You know, it's winter here. We have to ship it from the southern hemisphere where it's summer. You know, we have to sacrifice time and money and expense to have free fits out of season. And I think the real temptation of moms is to not to be content and focused on the season we're in, but to seek the fruit of a season that we're not in. And so, you guys are in the planning phase in the springtime of motherhood. You're in the early years, the years of, of planting seeds, and there are so many lies coming from the world about this time that you're in. You know, the lie that anyone can do it. That you should, don't waste your education. You know, get out there and do something in the world. Why are you just staying at home with your kids when you could be doing important big things and you could be free and money and relieving the, the burden on your husband? You know, you could be changing the world and it can feel, whereas the day-to-day task of a young mother feels like drudgery. We're changing diapers. We're mopping floors. We're cleaning up vomit. If we're, we're doing things that are so humble and feel like drudgery, and sometimes we're taking our first-class education or our entrepreneurial mindset, and we're thinking, isn't this a waste? Isn't what I'm doing a waste here? Shouldn't, why should, why don't I hire somebody else to do this and let me do more important things? You know, even the world's research though, shows that that's wrong. There was a study done in Africa oh, about 30 years ago, 30 years ago. And they took a matched population of moms. And, you know, moms the same age, with children the same age. And they did, they took a population in the city, in Nairobi, that were well-educated and socioeconomically were way above the other group moms. The other group moms were village moms, often illiterate, working in the fields, poor moms. And the moms in Nairobi were putting their kids in daycares and preschools and gardens and going for work and moving their education. The moms in villages were carrying their kids to the fields with them. And the kids were playing on the edge of the field or they were on their back in carriers while they picked and they were doing their work around the house with their children and their children stayed with them until they were school age, until they were like six or nine first grade. And the, the researchers thought that it would make it clear that the early education and the high socioeconomic status and the education of the parents would, would show that this was by far the best way. They tracked these kids for over 20 years. By the time they were grown, by the time they were 19, 20, 21, the kids of the village moms were ahead of the other kids in every way. They were less likely to be delinquent. They were more socially and emotionally healthy. They actually were more literate. And that didn't make any sense, but the difference was the influence of the mom. If these kids were with their mom this first five years, these kids were not. And 
you know, Martin Luther said, give me a child who's been seven, and anyone can have enough of that. Now, that's a bit of an exaggeration. But the point is that the seeds we plant in our kids when they're young will be what changes, what de- depends on what kind of character and person you'll be as a grown-ups. And the character training you do when they kid when they're little will come to fruit when they're dead. And the discipleship and relationship with everything they young has a tremendous impact on them socially and emotionally. And the other thing that we hear all the time these days is kids need early academics to succeed. And hi. I can. They're all out of class. That's all right. Where are you the advisors at? I don't know. They're taking a where's where's Charissa? She all the classes. Chris and Chris just have a lot going on. It's all right. You do have any ideas? Where are you going? We'll just make a joke. No. Okay. I'm not very good at this. Y'all ready? One, two, three. I'm not going to filter. Reading yet? So she needs to help. And talk about what? Okay. How old is the youngest? Four. Oh, four. I'm not worried about that. Are y'all like four? I'm worried about seven year old. Okay, listen, honey, let me tell you something. I have one child who did not learn to read until he was 11. He just graduated from college with a double major, a 3.96 GPA, and university honors. It's going to be okay. All right. So I keep telling myself it's not going to be a lyric. It's not going to be a <laughs> Well, you know what? We're going to have lots of time for questions. I would be glad to talk to you about what to do. Me too. Okay. But so everybody's saying, get your kids in early. We've got to do, teach reading in, in kindergarten, and that's going to make things best when their own research shows the. I so, have a friend, too, that told me now that I think about it. Um, because I did send my child to Temple when I was working there for one year. And um, she was talking about her first child, like how, because both of her kids went to that same school with my child, and she was talking about how much more her first child knew than her second child, and she didn't say because of the school, she said because I spent so much more time reinforcing it with the first one than with the second one. Well, listen, this is really interesting. So there's a study in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and a similar study in Germany, and what they did is they took... Um, kids, and these were all kids of similar background this time, okay? Similar background, similar similar socioeconomic status, and they randomly assigned them to either an academic kindergarten or a play-based kindergarten. Like a play-by-play-based, I mean, they're not teaching them letters yeah. at all. Like, um, they're not teaching them. Yeah, like, right. uh, what is it called? Uh, like Montessori? Well, of. even more relaxed than Montessori, they're not teaching them any letters, any numbers, 
They're playing. Yeah. Okay. They're yeah. they're cutting and pasting. They're singing songs. That's what they did to get it on Miles Right. Okay. They pl- they have free play. Whereas almost everything these days is academic kindergartens. Got a red study yesterday that showed that kids are spending two to four hours a day in academic instruction and thirty minutes in free play in kindergarten. Yeah. So they did the study and they found out that the kids that were in academic kindergartens were more advanced in first and second grade. By fourth grade, they were all equal academic. By high school, the kids in play-based kindergartens were way ahead of the others academic. What they found that was a huge surprise is they were also way ahead of the others emotionally and socially. The kids in play-based kindergartens were less likely to have been arrested, more likely to have healthy friendships, more likely to be in healthy relationships, and more advanced academically. And why is that? Because you cannot force a child to be developmentally ready to read. Most children become developmentally ready to read at six or seven. And so what happens if you teach a child at four or five? They don't learn. They just learn they're stupid. Well, and that's what I was about to say. I can kind of say from experience that my um, my son was four. He's turned four and in preschool, which was mostly play-based. And they learned their letters and sounds. But even then, I kind of kind of started getting worried about him because he wasn't catching on as quickly as I thought he should. Or then kindergarten came, you know, and they just keep building and building and building. And he just hated reading. He was just kind of hard. Because he wasn't ready. Yeah. And, but my... Second son, he was just turning four, but he was just totally different. And he just focused on that. And he's just going to be, and he's just a different child. But I mean, Logan is finally now, and he's repeating second grade this year. But so finally, just now, somewhat, it it really just really doesn't even enjoy reading still, but it's become easier. But I mean, it, it just got so discouraged. Yeah. And like I said, but kind of thought it was stupid. You know, it was yeah. really harmful. Yeah. It, it is harmful. And, and also, the academics push other things out of the way, like the playing, climbing trees, and skipping and riding bikes and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, those, those crossing the midline exercises where you alternate sides of the body. Are super important for academics. My mom said that. I did not know that was a thing. My mom said this looks good. Yes. Interventionist. And she was, because Kent, I mean, we do not, I mean, but he did something and she was like, Kelly, I physically have to take second graders' hands and like cross them yes. over their body for them. Yeah. Because they never, like. And, and some kids naturally have that issue. I have several that are dyslexics, but we're creating dyslexics. By not allowing kids to tell they need to run and jump and play and do the things that cause them to cross the midline and cause them to alternate sides of the body. And I know, isn't it? Thing. Yeah. yeah. But we're the spending the time in academics pushes aside the important things they learn from playing, like sharing and social stuff and interacting with other kids. If they're sitting at a little desk, you know, then they're not doing the interactions that they need to become normal human beings. And now with COVID and the whole mask yes. and six foot apart and Honestly. not even going to the cafeterias anymore. Oh and yeah. even when they were going to the cafeterias, 
serious. If it's silent. They had to be silent. And yes. that, oh, it made me so mad. That makes me so mad. You know, speech language pathologist. And, right. You know, like, okay, you want me to fix them. You want me to fix their communication. But they can't, but you they can't communicate. Well, I mean, I told this, I, I told Luke when I told him the story, it sounded like him being really disrespectful, but, and I didn't realize it until I told it to somebody else, but it, like, it was, he's just very literal and factual, and we were at Subway, and he did lose his mind and get in trouble afterwards, but when we first got there, there was a line, he was standing really close to the lady behind him, I said, buddy, we just don't stand that close to people, and I refuse to make it because of COVID. Like, right. before, That's I just your know, personal I said, though. you're in her, you're in her bubble. <laughs> but like he just literally was like pointing out the fact of like you stand that close to me and they're like right they like chatting it together and started laughing and I was like I'm not like you know like I'm we don't know her you know we're in the same bubble you came from I am your bubble yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna break your bubble <laughs> uh, oh. so yeah. You know, we hear too. It's so hard to have someone so dependent on you. You need a break. And I hear lots of, all the time on Facebook, we people talk about me time and you need me time and you need, you need to get away. And, but when I look at the Word of God, that's not what I'm seeing. You know, I see Jesus said, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Come to me, all you who are weary and, and burdened. And, I will give you rest. We look for rest in getting away from our job, getting away from our family. But Jesus says rest is getting is getting with him. It took me a long time to realize that as a mom. It was really when I was expecting our fourth son, and I was so overwhelmed. I was just white. And our oldest was eight. They were eight, five, three. And um and having a new baby, and I was just so overwhelmed, and I really, I cried out to God, and I said, Father, help me, help me know how to deal with this, and I felt like he needed to spend time with him, I said, I can't, every time I open my Bible, kids come running up, every time I try to have devotions, I'm interrupted, and finally I said, okay, if you'll remind me in a time I can do it, I'm not going to say no. Well, he has reminded me every day since. I have often said no. <laughs> but he still keeps reminding me, usually as soon as I fly in the morning, I end up putting my Bible in my bathroom. So first thing in the morning, that's the first thing I lay my eyes on. And I feel that when my rest comes from him, my rejuvenation and my restoration comes from him. It doesn't come from a brownie and milk as much as I love that. It doesn't come from going to get a going to get my hair done or going to a spa, it comes from him. And I think that Satan distracts us from getting the real rest we need by encouraging us to find all these other kinds of rest. If that's going to be the answer, the answer to your despair is going to be getting away and doing something for yourself, going somewhere with the girls. All those things are good things. It's not that you shouldn't take advantage of them if you have them, but just they're never going to give you the restoration that time with Jesus will, you know? This was something that um, really spoke to me as a mom. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. 
that Jesus pours every single thing I have out to bring my children to him, I will be glad of your joys. And so I would encourage you to time to rejoice in your children's beauty. You're important. You're important to them in a way you can't ever be important to somebody else. I remember um, being at the funeral of a friend who had been very instrumental in ministry right now. And I expected hundreds of people to go to funeral. I went really early so I could get a seat. And maybe five families that she should get back again. All the thousands, they were here, they didn't have But her four kids and her husband were coming out. She lashed out of the way. And I thought, Lord, let me put the people who won't be stopping in my class. Let me put the people who will be in the front row of my funeral first, the people to whom I am irreplaceable. Make devotions a priority and remember that the days seem really, really long when you've got your children. They seem to last forever. By the time you put the bed, you're exhausted. Wow, face first. You know? mm-hmm. But the years are so short. It seems like just yesterday that I had all those little children. And now all those little children are now grown men and giving me children, grandchildren. It passes really, really fast. Coming up soon, I'm thinking we're almost there is the tending stage, the middle years. The middle years, when they're changing between children and grown-ups, are difficult. No longer are you so busy wiping up snot, and the physical labor gets a lot easier because now they can rotate the dishwasher and they can do their own laundry. But the emotional burden comes now. Um, They climb on an emotional roller coaster and they invite you to join them. Do not get a ticket for that ride. This is the time that, that somebody's got to be the adult, and it's not going to be them, and they need you in a way that they have not needed you before. Now they need you to be the calm person, the haven, the, the person who's gonna, that they can depend on, that they can rail and explode and cry and weep, but you're going to be unmoved. You're going to tell them to do this. You're going to put your arm around them and love them. They experience a lot of intellectual growth during this time. And that's amazing and fun when they start paying attention to the world and say, Mom, can we talk about what's happening with COVID? Um, I'm concerned about the loss of civil liberties. You know, when they start talking about this stuff, you have a chance to... to uh-huh, but how did that exist? Uh-huh. Somebody, <laughs> somebody says, okay, one minute says something to me about the loss of civil liberties. I'm like, well, baby, you know what? I just don't know what to tell you. Back off to Tyler. Yeah, it's going to be really fun, though, honestly. When they start asking you, Mama, so who do you, who are you going to vote for for president? Why? It'll teach me because then I'll have to go do some research. Yeah, you know, they'll notice things. They'll ask you questions about the world and they're exploring the world. The scariest part is this is a time of spiritual doubt. When the kids are five or six, they kind of discover that there's a spiritual world out there and that there's angels and demons and that there's Jesus and my parents love Jesus and I love Jesus. And that's really exciting and it's fun. That's when they're singing Jesus Loves Me and they tell you, I, I love Jesus so much. And you have, you're full of spiritual hope for them. And then those hormones hit. And now they they can intellectually understand, well, mom and dad believe in Jesus. But other people believe in something different. And some people believe, it, believe there is no God. And how do I know what's true? 
mix that up with the emotional roller coaster, and it's scary. You know, I had one look at me one time and say, Mom, I think I'm an atheist. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, this child that I've been pouring the gospel into since before he was born, and he looks at me and tells me he thinks he's an atheist. But it's normal during this stage when you get the spiritual doubt. What is also normal is for parents to ignore and write it off if you continue to speak about Don't. This is the time that you're going to need to go through apologetics with and read some books like Near Christianity, Bessie Lewis, or The Case for Christ, and Lee Strobel. Get them, you know, the, the Bible Project videos and talk about those. You need to show them that there are answers. What do you do if they ask you something you don't know? They say, Mom, how do we know there's a God being like, I'm going to call your pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Your pastor, your pastor went to seminary. He's just been waiting for 25 years for someone to ask him about the teleological argument for the existence of God. He will be thrilled. I mean, he will be thrilled. I've heard that word before. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, seriously, this is why we have pastors and elders. You know, this is why they go to school like their husband. Yeah. So that they can answer those hard questions. And so we tell our kids, I don't know, but there is an answer. And we'll find out. We encourage them that there are answers to their doubts. Great time to go into evolution creation debate. And help them to see that there are answers for those things. They don't have to worry or, or wonder. Um, this is a time that it's super easy for, to break the relationship with your child. Because they're really annoying. <laughs> and... The emotional meltdowns <laughs> and crazy accusations and the things they go through. It's easy to get defensive and angry right back at them, to jump on that emotional roller coaster with them, woo, and to break the relationship. And when your relationship with your child is broken, the teenagers tend to get worse and worse. But if you can get through these middle years with your relationship intact, the teenagers tend to get better and better. And so you've got to protect your relationship. So you pair it for the end game. When you're losing it with them, you think, I have so much to do today. Why are you having a meltdown today? Instead of being defensive and angry, you think, I am parenting for the day they leave my home. When they leave my home, all I'm going to have is relationship. I've got to protect my relationship with them. Get godly counsel when you get to the end of your own. Seek out people whose children are walking with Jesus. People have adult kids who are walking with Jesus. Make sure you're having family devotions that you're drawing everybody back. Because the, the, big, the big point of parenting is this. Discipleship and relationship. You know what? If you have all the money in the world and your children hate God, it won't matter to you. If you have... If you are the most, if you're well known and people get excited when they see you come in the room and you have many awards and you're written up in the newspaper and your children won't speak to you, you won't care. The only thing that matters as a mother is discipleship and relationship. The relationship part is important because we want to know and love our kids all their lives, but also because, um, Experience teaches us that kids only hear truth in the context of relationship. A huge study of 10,000 kids raised in Christian homes who are now adults is done. You know the number one predictor that they would, that they would stay in the faith and be raised in laws? 
was it church attendance? It was a youth group. Was it family relations? It was people had a good relationship with the Christian mother and father. People have a good relationship with the Christian mother and father almost always follow them into the family. And then comes the time that I'm in right now, which is really super exciting in its hardest. Late teens and adult years. This is when you see the seeds that you planted in the early years and the weeds you clipped and the things you did to tend the garden in the middle years come to harvest. Our adult kids are Pastor Graham. I cannot tell you how exciting that is to have your child call you just because they want to show what's going on in their lives. And to call you and say, Mom, we haven't gotten together in a while. Why don't you go out for, for a movie and for dinner and a movie with me? And to ask you what they can do to bless you and to pray for you and for you to pray for them and encourage them. And to just, you know, nobody shares those memories, those happy memories of the fun things that with their kids, except you and your kids. And to have them become your brother and sister in Christ, it is amazing. It is so much better than I ever dreamed. You know, Paul told us, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in the truth. Folks, it's really, really, really true. That when we see, I remember the day that our son graduated from college. And he said, Yeah, can you come to church with me that morning, right? Yeah, sure. So we went to his church in the town and went to college. And he stood up at the front and he was leading worship. And to see your child standing before you, leading others in the worship of God. It makes all those diapers and all the baby prayers and all the days that they're running crazy and you're still trying to have family relations. It makes it so worth it. Sometimes you have to spend some of this time rebuilding that relationship. And so, for some, for some folks, this is a time of, of rebuilding relationship or a time of mourning because the relationship is, is broken. Don't remember that when you're in the, the hot part of the middle years. This is the time that you become a Titus 2 woman. You begin teaching other women how to love their, their mates and children more. And in many ways, it's a lot easier day to day. I generally don't cook food in my house. You know, my older kids do. Our teens do. Unless I want to. So it's physically a lot easier, which is a good thing because I'm older. But this is when you get the room to expand your horizons. This is when you're your ministry is inward focused before this. Your primary ministry is to is to your family, to your kids. This is when when you get start getting this kids in the late teens, this is when your ministry begins to turn outward. Even if you have younger children, because I have younger children. But we have I have enough help in the home and we can travel together and do things together in a way. This is when your ministry focuses outward when you're reaching out to the world. This is when you may, it's easier to do things involved in business, to do things involved in ministry, because infinitely easier than the way it, it tears you when you're, when your kids are younger. You know, when you just, it's hard. It's hard. This is when it gets easier. And then comes the time, we think winter is a sad time, but no, this is the time. When your granary is full, 
you know, you, you come to harvest, you filled up your coffers with the harvest, and you can really turn outward. We have two provisions. And I can't tell you how amazing it was to hear Peter, he's two and a half years, and I heard him the other day share his first meeting with us. Is he? That child. Matthew was the awfulest child we had in the ocean. When he was two and a half, he jumped up and down on a chair the entire time. Worried me to death. He was amazing. Never stopped that oh, like. <laughs> and, and to see him, to see my children's children, see him teaching his children. Man! Wow! This is when you're totally free to focus out. We say empty nest as if that were that thing. But this is this is a time when your nest has fulfilled its function, and it's time to help others build their nest. A time of mystery grows, and when you're taking it to the world, it's a burning farm. You know, this is the thing, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For due season we will reap if we do not. When our kids are young, there will be definitely times that we need to be supporting our husbands and what they're doing to support the family, working in our businesses, working, keeping things going while he's in school, keeping the house going while he's away. But our primary focus has got to be on these kids because they need us so desperately during the early and I just, I, I would have been more content as a young mother if I had realized the seasons of motherhood, that time is coming when I can stand on a stage and talk, teach 2,000 people and have people clap and cheer. Nobody was clapping and cheering when I had four children in You know how? But that season would come. That season when I could when I could focus more outwardly. I've always had a heart for ministry. It went the time when that outward focus would come, that that was going to come. And so I remember being very frustrated when our youngest was 12 years old. When she was a baby, I really wanted a scrapbook. And she was a heart baby and had to be held all the time. And it was so frustrating to me. It's like, I just can't do that. And what I couldn't see is that within just a handful of years, that she and her older sister, I had friends with them. And they were super crafty. And they would love to sit down and do those things. But that season was coming. And so don't be afraid to lay things down and say, I just can't do this right now. And don't grieve over it because the, your season will change. The seasons are going to change. And there's going to be time to do those things later. And, and cherish the special joys of your life. Of winding the bed with the women in the story, of having, having to play around your feet while you work, of the kisses and, and the dependence, and having the child that hangs around your neck all the time and don't get frustrated and hug them back. So that's what I've got.
I want to hear what are your thoughts and what's in your mind and can I answer any questions you have. I don't know. Let me tell you a little bit about what we did. Helen and I are the authors of nine books. We have best known for Raising Your Men. We raised the book. No Longer Little, Parenting Between the Grace and Hope, which is about the middle years. Um, Love, Honor, and Virtue, which is about um, sexuality for teenage boys to read themselves. My Beloved and My Friend, Have You Married Your Best Friend Without Too Many Spouses? A marriage book. <laughs> and then we have. Um, so far, I need all of them. Yeah, right, right. We have four holiday books about how to have Christ in the holiday. Um, Christ, um, one is um, Finding Christ in History Reformation Day, Christ in the Thanksgiving, Christ in the Christmas, and um, Christ in the Advent, which is a devotional book based on Christmas gifts. And then our last book is Help Us on the Way, Helping Homeschoolers, you know, um, a guide to a homeschooler's guide to getting accommodations. And to college you've been listening to making biblical family life practical with Hal and Melanie Young if you found this program interesting challenging and encouraging why not join us on the web at halandmelanie.com that's h-a-l-a-n-d m-e-l-a-n-i-e dot com or follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook slash Alan Melanie or Facebook.com slash Raising Real Men. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Join us next week when we'll be back to talk about making biblical family life practical. Until then, thank you and God bless you for listening. <laughs>